And uh, if I could, I want to talk to you about now is now is the time. Now is the time. Uh, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm sure that in this room there are people that are really orderly. They they like to have a list. They love to get things done. Uh, they're just on time about everything. Uh, but then there's also people that just have a tendency to procrastinate. Am I talking to anybody here this morning? Don't be pointing fingers, folks. But there are those. I think, I think at some time or the other, all of us are guilty of putting off tomorrow what we really need to do today. Uh, there's consequences when we procrastinate. Uh, if you put off paying a bill, there's always a penalty charge. Uh, there's just so many things that happens whenever we put things off. Uh, and so I want to share a message with you today called Now is the Time. Now is the Time. And I like to use the acronym of T-I-M-E. I want to share a verse with you in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to look on the screen or if you want to uh, go along in your Bibles. For he saith, I have heard you in a time uh, and accepted in the day of salvation. I have secured thee. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, I don't know about you, but we could stop right there and say that just by reading that one verse, God is a right now God. How many of you know that when God wants to save you, is now. God wants to change you now. God wants to do a work in your life now. He is a right now God. And the Bible says that now is the day of salvation. Now. Now is the time to give our attention to the things of God. When God saved you, He never intended for you to put His kingdom on the back burner. When God saved you, He saved you for a specific reason in this earth. He didn't save you just to give you a passport into paradise. Come on now, y'all are awfully quiet in here. Help me preach a little bit. God saved you to do something. And I want to give you some points here. This is the thing that it's time for. Number one, in the T, we need to turn to the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, turn to the Lord. You know, it's amazing all the things that people turn to. You know, I've seen people turn to this and they turn to that. They turn to drugs or they turn to alcohol. They turn to all of these other things. Matter of fact, the Bible emphasizes a word that we need to rediscover again and it's the word repent. How many of you know repentance is a good thing? Repentance, in, you know, I heard a preacher say, well, let me tell you what repentance really is. Repentance is simply a change of mind. And you know what? It really is a change of mind. But how many of you know that you could be a bank robber and decide that you're going to rob a bank on Saturday, but when you get there, you change your mind and decide not to rob it. But how many of you know that you don't cease to be a bank robber just because you don't do it? You can be a bank robber in your heart and not do it. Just because you changed your mind doesn't mean that you cease from being a bank robber. So, so, so repentance involves more than just a change of mind. It starts there, but repentance means a turning away from something. In the military, we call it an about face. 
It means that you've changed from going from one direction to another direction. I want to read you a verse in the book of Acts. If you have that uh, up there uh, in Acts uh, 26 verse 20. But he showed them first unto of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea. And then to the Gentiles. Notice this. That they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Repentance. How many of you know that our repentance is showed in our lifestyle? If a person truly turns to God, there'll be the evidence of that turning. You'll be able to see that clearly in their life, that they actually have turned to God. The Bible said that now is the time to turn to the Lord. There's millions that are turning to so many things. I see people turning to education turn into science, turn into psychology. And as good as all these things may be, they end up frustrated. Why? Because they have yet to understand that Jesus alone is the answer to every problem in the earth today. Listen, if you make the mistake of turning to all these other things, if you turn to this and turn to that, I'm going to tell you something, friends. Dear Abby does not have the answer to your problem. I think she's dead anyhow. Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil does not have the answer to all your problems. They may give you a temporary solution, but friends, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And Jesus is the only one that can change a person's heart. But it only takes place as we turn to God. You know, being consecrated means being separated first. Somebody say, say that again. I said being consecrated means to be separated first. You can't grab a hold of God until you let go of what you have in the first place. There's a lot of people that's frustrated in their walk with God because they've simply never let go of what they have in order to turn to God. They're still holding on to things that they should have let go of a long time ago. Holding on to that past bitterness. Holding on to that grudge that they've had for years. Holding on to all this stuff. Life is all about what knowing what to hold on to and what to let go of. There's some things that you and I need to do and we need to turn to it. God often works through people, doctors and lawyers and loved ones and friends, but our ultimate help needs to come when we turn to God. Forgiveness and cleansing is ours when we repent and commit our lives to God. I think uh, Bob alluded maybe to this verse in 1 John 1, 9. You have it up here? 1 John 1, 9. I love this. If, everybody say if. Don't ever underestimate that little word. That's a big word. How many of you know that that's a conditional word, if? Meaning that you have the choice whether you do it or not. If, if we do this, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins. Friends, the first step to progress is acknowledgement. We acknowledge if we confess our sins, and I love this part, he is faithful. Look at your neighbor and say, he is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to do what? He's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but that's a good deal. 
Look at your neighbor and say, that's a good deal. It is a good deal. Listen, you won't find a better deal on this planet that if we turn to God, and what it, it's a time to turn to God. How many of you know that people need to turn to God? We have a president that needs to turn to God. We have senators and congressmen that need to turn to God. The Republicans need to turn to God. The Democrats need to turn to God. Everybody needs to turn to God. Listen, this whole country is in disarray, not because of all the other sideline issues, friend. The problem in America is that we have abandoned our faith in God. The moment we turn to God is the moment that God will get our national house in order. We need to turn to God, friends. Look at what Hebrews 12.2 says. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you something. If Jesus walked in the strength of the Father, then how much more should we walk in his strength by turning to God? We need to turn to God. Turn to God. How many know repentance is not a one-time thing? We should turn to God. Every, we, should turn, we should turn our worries over to God. We should turn our heartaches over to God. We should turn things over to God. Listen, if you don't turn things over to God, friends, then you'll be crushed by the cares of this world. Then the second thing we need to do, the T-I, the I is invest in the Lord. We need to invest in the Lord. You know, I see people making investments in things. I mean, the last church that I pastored, I found out that they had accumulated all this money in the bank. And they said, well, you know what's really amazing? Our tithe is going down. I said, well, hello. No wonder the tithe is going down. Whenever we have a business meeting and all the members see how much money we got accumulated and we don't even have a reason to, for it. They say, well, the church don't need my money. Look at all the money they got. How many of you know that there should have been an investment there? Listen, it's good that you invest. It's good that you save. It's good that you be frugal. It, but let me tell you, the greatest investment that you can ever make is to invest your life in the kingdom of God. You know, the key to life is serving others. I know so many people that are so wrapped up in their own problems and the reason why is because they've, they've become so self-centered. They become a victim. They have the victim mentality. Instead of them reaching out and touching others and, and ministering to others, friends, let me tell you, if you would start being other people-centered instead of self-centered, why, even if you had worries or problems, it'd take you several years just to get around to worrying about them. How many of you know that's the answer? It's to get our eyes on the kingdom. We need to invest in the Lord. Look at what Matthew 6 says. Are y'all still with me now? Don't make me come down there. Matthew 6.20 says, But lay up for yourselves, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust does corrupt and where thieves don't break through to steal. For where your treasury is, there will your heart be also. I don't know about you, but we got some Christians that's got some treasures in the wrong place. Their treasure is their land. Their treasure is their job or their career. Their treasure is their house. I'll never forget going to a church and it was an uppity church. And I knew they had all really good jobs and they had really nice homes. And you wouldn't believe what I preached on. 
I preached on how that in Peter, the Bible says, that he's going to destroy the world by fire. And I said, you know what? I said, think about it. In the end, all of our houses are going to be nothing but firewood for the breath of God. I said, I want every one of y'all, I'm going to give you some homework. When you go home, I want you to stand in front of that car that you clean and, and, and work for real hard. I want you to stand in front of that house and I want you to say to yourself, it's going to burn good. How many of you know they didn't ask me to come back ever again? Why? Because they fell in the same trap that worldly people fall in. They become much too materialistic. How many of you know that you don't have to have a lot of money to be materialistic? I know poor people that are materialistic. It's amazing the hole that things have on people. I've always said if you want to see how greedy and materialistic people are, just let a relative die. Oh, it's amazing. I had a guy in my last church who had so much money, he didn't know what to do with. And he said, you know what? I don't believe in building a gymnasium. I don't believe in building a new church, and I'm not going to give the church a dollar. And I said, well, you can be that way if you want to. I said, but I promise you, your children are already grown. They've got houses of their own. They've got jobs of their own. They don't even need any of your money. But I promise you, when you die, instead of you investing in the kingdom of God, you're going to leave it to all your children, and they're going to fight over it and hate one another for the rest of their life. And he died of brain cancer, and that's exactly what happened to his children. I was prophesying and didn't even know it. Listen, friends, it is amazing to me how, how caught up people get in this world. I know that we have to make a living. I know that we have to do things in this earth. But I don't believe for one minute that God intended for a born-again believer to put the kingdom on the back burner. I don't believe that for one minute. Look what it says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Millions of people are investing in temporal possessions. They got, the, they got a house and a car and the latest gadget. They pursue things that wear out and rust and decay. But God demands first place in our life. He expects us to be faithful. We invest in the Lord when we work for the salvation of souls. Look at what 1 Timothy 6.17 says. I'm plugging right away here, y'all. Charge them that are rich. Charge, boy, I, I wish you'd hear the prosperity preachers preach on this sermon. They wish, that that, they wish that that verse wasn't even in there. Let's mark that thing out now. It don't fit our theology. It's kind of like the two apostles when they saw the man crippled and they said, silver and gold, have I none? How many of you know that they didn't have a revelation of prosperity? But they said, such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. They didn't have anything, but they had everything. Right. He said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in the uncertain riches, but they need to trust in the living God who gives us, the next part of the verse, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. How many of you know it's one, it's one thing to have things, but it's another thing for those things to have us? I heard a person tell me in this town, I won't tell you who he is. He told me, he said, I'm so proud of my son. Oh, I'm so proud of my son. God has really blessed my son. Oh, he's got this and he's got that. God's been good to him. And I looked at him and said, really? I said, really? I said, the things that you call blessing in your son's life is actually a curse because it was the very thing that took him out of church. 
At one time, this man played on the platform and loved God and come to church every time the doors are open. Now he's got so much accumulated wealth, he has no time for church or God. How many of you believe that man is blessed? No, he's not blessed at all. It's amazing how God looks at things different than the way we look at things, friends. We look, no, no wonder people that are poor in this world are rich in faith. Why? Because they don't have anything but God. And let me tell you something. If God has to humble you that way, he will. Because he wants you to understand that he is your source. So we need to invest in the Lord. The M, the T-I-M, we need to march with the Lord. March. We need to march with the Lord. Look at what 2 Timothy 2.3 says. 2 Timothy 2.3. Did I have that on there, honey? 2 Timothy. Therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. Listen, can I say something? It's amazing how we have adopted the American Jesus into our language. How many of you know that God is not committed to America? As much as I love America, God is not committed to America. God is committed to his church in America. And listen, friends, this easy believism, this tiptoe through the tulips, Jesus, he never existed. Jesus wants us to get ready for a battle. Listen, the only Christians that don't have problems are Christians that are no threat to the enemy. Somebody say, say that again. The only Christians that, that have no problems are the only Christians that are no threat to the enemy. Listen, I didn't understand what a fight really was until I entered the kingdom of God. I didn't understand what a struggle it really was until I began to make spiritual advancements. The closer you get to God, the harder the, fight, the battle is going to be. Why would, G, why would the scriptures tell us to endure hardness if we wasn't going to have some hard times? Why would the scriptures tell us to be a, a good soldier if he didn't want us to develop soldier mentality? I don't know if y'all know this or not. I guess it's the time to make the announcement. My son, my youngest son, has decided to join the military. He's jumped through all the hoops and this coming Tuesday, he'll know the day when he is deployed, probably be in October sometime. But he's joined the United States Air Force. And listen, I, 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 I'm developing a soldier mentality now more than ever because I got a military man in the family. Would y'all give him a round of applause, by the way? That we should respect our soldiers. It don't matter who it is. We march with the Lord. A good soldier is loyal. A good soldier will deny himself a personal pleasure or profit. He, he needs to march and endure hardship for the love and protection of his country. I want to show you a portion of verse. I wasn't going to throw this in, but I need to. Joel. Look at Joel. i got to read this to you. And I, I've read this a thousand times, and I get shouting happy every time I read it. Joel. I'm trying to find it here. Joel chapter 2. I want to read this to you real quick. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. For it is, it is at hand. A day of darkness. A day of gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people. Everybody say people. It didn't say locusts. But it said a people. 
Now listen, I know many Bible theologians will tell you that he's describing an army of locusts and I believe that he is. But I believe that this is also a dual prophecy. I believe that that not only does it show us how locusts and how devastating locusts can be, but it shows us how devastating an army can be. And notice what it said. And a people will come great and strong like of whom who has never been nor there will ever be any such after them. Even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Eden before them and behold them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like the swift steeds so they run. With a noise like chariots over the mountains, they leap like the noise of flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people. Here he is, he refers them to people again. Like the strong, notice he's making the the, the comparison. Like the strong people set in battle, before them the people writhe in pain. All the faces are drained of color. Now notice this, they run like mighty men. They run. How many of you know that the older you get, the more limited you are physically. How many of you older men, including myself, realize that you can't do the things you used to do? How many of y'all would like to do the things you used to do? But listen to me. Even though your outward man is perishing, you have the ability to renew your inward man. Amen. And although you, uh, you, you all the, we need to be like little Johnny. The mother was trying to get him to uh, to sit down. He wasn't being he wasn't being still. And she said, "Sit down and be still." Finally, after correcting him three times, she said, "Johnny, if you don't sit down and be still, I'm going to take you out of this church and wear you out." And all of a sudden, Johnny looks at her and said, I want you to know that I'm sitting still, but inside I'm jumping up and down. (laughs) I wouldn't say that we have that type of attitude, but listen to me, friends. Did you know that in the spirit we should be able to run? In the spirit, we should be able to run. We should understand. We should, he said they run like mighty men. They climb the wall. In other words, God gives you the ability to climb over the obstacles the devil tries to put in your way. They climb over the wall. Everyone marches in formation. They don't break ranks. How many of you know that you need to know your place in the body? You need to know your place in the kingdom of God. You need to know your place. God has a place for you to march in his army. Notice this. They don't push one another. They don't push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they're not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb in the houses. They enter the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives his voice before his army. The camp is great for strong is the one who executes his word. How many of you know that the Lord wants to utter his voice before you today? He wants you to, he wants you to march with him today. They run, they climb, they march, they don't break rank. God is raising up an army. How many believe God's raising up an army? Listen, friends, you have to be stone blind not to see what's going on in our country. 
I mean, we're so quick to point the finger everywhere. Oh, you know what? It's Black Lives Matter. It was founded on a lie. It's KKK. It's founded on a lie. We want to point the finger at everybody, but what we're really seeing is we're really seeing a clash. Not between a culture, but a clash. A spiritual clash between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. Between truth and the forces of lies. That's what we're seeing today. All we're seeing today is an outward manifestation of what's really already taking place in the heavenly realm. And listen, you and I are either going to be engaged in this spiritual battle or we're going to be AWOL. I don't know about you, but I think it's high time that we start marching. I think it's high time that we report in to the captain of our salvation. I think it's high time that we get off the sideline and start getting on the battlefield and duke it out with the devil again. Give God praise in the house. Now is the time. And then the last one is E. The E in endure for the Lord. We not only need to march for the Lord, we need to endure for the Lord. How many believe that God is calling for your endurance in these last days? Listen, none of us probably ever competed in the Olympics. But I can tell you this much. When you're, when you're destined to go to the Olympics, you don't want the silver. And what's the other third one? The bronze. You know what, you know what, you know what every person in the Olympics is going for? They're going for the... Every one of them. Every one of them has that mentality. Every one of them has that mindset. And the things that they do in order to prepare for that one event is unbelievable. The dedication and the consecration that they do is all for that particular time. I'm going to tell you something. They're not interested in losing. They're interested in winning. You know, I wish that Christians had that mentality. It is, listen, and I'm getting ready to close, but listen to this. It's amazing how many Christians give up before they even try. Listen, it's not how many times you fall down. It's how many times you get up again. Because listen, if the devil knows that you're going to get a spiritual second win and you're going to get up again and you're going to last through this final round, then friends, you very well may win that round. That's right. What we need to do is we need to endure. It's not, it's not how you start the race, and it is important, but it's how you finish the race. Notice what the scripture says about endurance. We have another verse up there, endure for the Lord. I think I have one or two more verses here. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. How many of you know that God wants to save all of you? Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to save all of me. He want, listen, God wants to save all of you so much that he's even going to redeem your mortal body. He's going to save you. He's going to change your mortal body to immortal body. He wants to save your mind. He wants to save your spirit, your soul. He wants to save you wholly and entirely. He wants you to endure. He wants you to endure. You know what? I know people every single Sunday that even though they come to church and even though they go through the motions, they have already given up a long time ago. Some reason or another, you've got to allow God to help you again and you've got to endure now is the time. Now is the time. 
Now is the time to endure. Do we have another verse? I think we have one in Revelation, do we not? Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall be cast. Some of you in the prison, some of you in the prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. I want to tell you a story that I think is true. It's a story of a little church that was in the communist country, a cold communist, it must have been Russia. They started a, an underground church and it was started by a little old lady. This old lady had accumulated about 12 people. They would sing and they would worship the Lord. And one day the KGB found out that they were having this meeting. They came in, they busted up the meeting. They took everybody. They took their Bibles. They ripped the pages of their Bibles, threw their Bibles and burned them. They looked at the lady and told her, you will not do this again. They threw her on the ground. A soldier took the butt of his gun and broke both of her legs in half. They knew she was the leader. They left and the church gathered together and took this precious little spirit-filled lady and she mended and she began to mend. Her legs began to mend. And as soon as her legs began to mend, guess what she done? She started another Bible study. This time it grew to about 27 people, including men, women, and children. The KGB found out about it again, except this time they took swift action. They took everybody and loaded them up in a cattle truck in the snow. The snow was waist deep. They marched them out in the middle of nowhere. And they told, they said, I want the kids to get out of the truck first. I want the women to get out of the truck next. And I want the men to get out of the truck after that. They lined them up in single file. They brought in another load of wood. They threw the wood and made a huge bonfire in the freezing snow. They demanded that the children strip their clothes off nude. They took all the clothes off. The women took their clothes off, the men and the children. And they stood there shivering in the cold snow. And all of a sudden the KGB looked at them and said, You have an opportunity to deny and renounce your faith in God. And if you will be willing to denounce and deny your faith in God, you can get your clothes and you can walk away. You can go to the fire and be warmed. And all of a sudden those little children kept looking at their mothers and looking at their daddies wondering what they should do. And their dads just stood there and shook their heads. No, don't do it. The soldiers began to taunt them and laugh at them and mock them. And one at a time, they begin to fall over in the snow and die. It got down to the very last, or the second to the last man, as their backs was turned toward the fire. The second to the last man turned his shoulder and saw the flickering flames. He turned around and ran into the fire and denied his faith. As soon as he did, Another Russian soldier began to strip his clothes off, threw his gun down in the snow, saying in Russian, let me take his place. They didn't know what had happened, but what happened was, is when that man turned his shoulder, he said he saw an angelic being behind him, ready to put a golden crown on his head. He had a vision and said, I want to take that man's place because of what I saw. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. 
Can I tell you something? Man, now's the time. Now's the time to get serious about our Savior. Bow your heads with me, please.